7 to 8 p.m. Sport On with Tabi Somosia. And that is me, Tabiso Musia. Good evening. Welcome to the show. Luyolo Mkalip is producing and Sylvester Komane is in technical with us tonight. And what a sporting weekend it was. Congratulations go out to South Africa's Brandon Stone for winning the Scottish Open. Shot 60 in the final round. Unbelievable to win by four strokes there, Brandon Stone, and is qualified for this week's Open. Also, Brad Binder, who won his first MotoGP2 title in Germany this past weekend in a sensational race that saw the top three on the podium being separated by just a second. There was also boxer Murutim Tala and a babyface who claimed the vacant IBF flyweight title by beating Mohammed Wasim of Pakistan on points in Malaysia on the undercard of Manny Pacquiao's uh, fight against Lucas Matese, um, babyface Mtalane, winning the fight. The judges scoring it 114-113, two judges, and the other one 116-110. Then France for winning the World Cup. Well done, tough luck to Croatia, but the best team won the World Cup. And well done to all of you who predicted France to win it before the tournament even started. Unlike us, who thought Germany and Brazil were the favorites. But well done if you picked uh, France to win it. If you picked them in the quarterfinals and the semis, it doesn't count. And then... Not a good weekend for the Proteas. They lost inside three days as they were annihilated by 278 runs by Sri Lanka in goal in the first of two test matches. And we heard today that Tabre Shamsi is coming home due to personal reasons. They don't know when he'll come back. The second test in Colombo starts on a Friday. And then the big one, Kevin Anderson, reaching the final of Wimbledon before losing to Novak Djokovic in straight sets. But the match was quite interesting, especially if, like me, you followed some of it on social media. I was watching it and then looking on social media and the country was divided. We can't run away from these folks. The country was divided in its support for Kevin Anderson yesterday. Many are saying that they're not supporting him because he doesn't play Davis Cup tennis, which is the premier international team event in men's tennis. And that is the question that we're putting out today in the, in the first part of the show. Is the criticism justified when it comes to this matter? Is Kevin Anderson a traitor for not playing? playing Davis Cup tennis or is he doing more for the country by playing on the ATP tour so we'll hear from former SA Davis Cup captain John Lafney Diaga who is based in the US as well as sports writer Oka De Villiers who has previously written an article about this matter and we also want to get your views on this one feel free you can call us even right now 0891 SMS 40938 WhatsApp 0614104107 hashtag us on social media SAFM on what are your views here were you supporting kevin anderson or not is he a traitor because he doesn't represent south africa in davis cup he's played it before and then he wrote that open letter back in 2012 where he gave all his reasons for not playing davis cup saying that it was it cost him a lot of money firstly and he wasn't reimbursed even when he's injured he has to look after himself he also said that it doesn't fit in with his schedule because there are three or four davis cup ties a year and they're in the middle of some atp tour tournaments and if it can be structured better then he might reconsider coming to play for the country and also if uh, Tennis South Africa reimbursed him I remember there was one tie that they were supposed to go to in Canada and he he felt that um, he wasn't getting any compensation from Tennis South Africa and he said that if they put the money up front for him and enough money he would have played in that tie in Canada so he's given those kinds of reasons the other argument and many people have been saying that he's been trying to play for America especially after Andy Roddick retired he thought he could get that, 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 that the one spot in the America team and that's why he applied for US citizenship and um, that's why a lot of people are saying that he is a traitor and they don't believe that he's one of us so please give us your thoughts on this one I'll be very interested to hear what you have to say and also congratulations by the way to Raven Klassen and his doubles partner Michael Venus also fortunately losing in the final but they went all the way there it's a new team formed in 2018 so well done to them and then in the last uh, half an hour or so we'll speak to Musin Ertugal not about Ajax at all we want to get coach Musin Ertugal's views on the World Cup that just finished and we want to find out about the trends picked up from this World Cup because Coach Musin is usually part of FIFA's panel after World Cup tournaments and he will tell us what they look for um, uh, as, as a technical committee member and how these panels work so we'll pick his brain and find out what did he pick up from the World Cup and we'll go over to France also to get reaction. Have they arrived? Have they landed in Paris? And uh, how is how is it looking there? Uh, I'm waiting to see those pictures. I, l- I love things like that. I live for that at the World Cup. I live for when they, they lift the trophy. I just love 
the excitement and expressions on their faces and also when they get home and they're welcomed by hundreds of thousands of people i just love that so we're going to go over to france and find out how is the reaction there in france but firstly Let's hear from former SA Davis Cup captain John Lafnidiaga, who's based in the U.S. We put a call through to him just minutes before the show to get his reaction on Kevin Anderson, on the criticism rather leveled at Kevin Anderson for not playing Davis Cup. You'll remember John Lafnidiaga was a, was a former captain of the SA Cup of the of the SA Davis Cup team. He tried to get Kevin Anderson to play. I think he was involved in that tie against Canada. Kevin Anderson uh, released an open letter later on and uh, said John Lafnidiaga misunderstands doesn't understand his reasoning uh, for not playing Davis Cup and his means informing the nation there was a big thing back in the day but let's hear from John Lafnidiaga and then we'll hear from Oka de Villas and we'll take your calls right along as we discuss uh, Kevin Anderson and I began by asking John Lafnidiaga by the way just to, to get his thoughts on Kevin Anderson going all the way to reach the final of Wimbledon obviously Kevin played great I mean it, uh, he's proven that the finals that he made at the U.S. Open, you know, uh, was not lucky. He's really, he's, he's a great player and he's playing really well. And, you know, he just showed it on the grass. To beat Roger Federer on the grass is the greatest grass court player. After being down two sets to love, you know, he, has, he saved the match point and then, you know, winning in a Titanic five-set match. And then, you know, the long match that he had against John Eisner was amazing. So, unfortunately, I think, you know, um, physically it took a, a toll on him in the finals. Um, the first two sets, you could see he was not... He was not in, in, in that match. But then in the third set, he started playing really great. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he couldn't win that third set because I think if he won that third set, it would have been a different match. You know, uh, Djokovic started getting a little bit more tentative. Kevin was playing freely. He started serving really well. And, he's, uh, you know, Kevin has really improved his game. I mean, he's, uh, he's moving great for, for a big guy. And he's put a lot of power and, and more speed on his ground strokes. So he's a danger, and uh, everybody knows it. And uh, there's no reason why you know he's number number six in the world at the moment. So it's a, it's amazing achievement from him. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you know I believe that you know it will give him a lot of confidence. And you know going forward, he's going to be a threat in every tournament. They both came out uh, in the semi-final. Kevin and John Isner saying that uh, slamming the, the the lack of a tiebreak at Wimbledon, saying that uh, they can't be playing such long matches, and it seems to be the feeling around the players, even though the fans enjoy it. Where do you stand there, John Lafnidiaga? I, I I believe that you know at nine all they should play a tiebreaker. It is exciting for the crowd when you get a big match like the twenty six twenty four. But, you know, the tough thing is for the guy that wins have to come back two days later and, and play again. And, you know, from a physical and a mental perspective, you know, it's very tough on the, on, on the body. So I really I believe that, it, you know, for me, nine all will be a good time to play tiebreak. I know there's a lot of people that talk about 12 all. But that's a, that's a decision that the All England Club needs to make. But, you know, they're definitely going to make a change because, uh, you know, it totally destroyed the, the schedule. You know, that forced uh, Nadal and Djokovic to, to come back on Saturday and finish their match because uh, th- that first semi-finals was so long. Having said that, um, well, everybody, a lot of people were happy that Kevin made it to the final, but there were, though, mixed reactions on social media here in South Africa, many criticizing him from, for not playing mm-hmm. Davis Cup tennis. As a former Davis Cup captain, do you think the criticism is justified? You know, I think as South Africans, you know, unfortunately we don't see a lot of international tennis or any international tennis at that standard in South Africa. The only time where people can watch high-class tennis and, and watch Kevin play is Davis Cup. So people that's passionate about tennis and passionate about South Africa wants to see him play for South Africa and help, and help uh, the Davis Cup. Obviously when Kevin plays, you know, our team is so much stronger and we have a possibility of even qualifying for the World Group. And that means... We're getting, you know, Federer and Nadal to come to South Africa and play Davis Cup. So um, I can I, I understand people that's not happy with it. Uh, at the end of the day, we have to respect Kevin's decision. He makes a decision what's best for his career and what's best for his family. Right now, um, he believes that playing on the tour as a South African and doing well is good enough to inspire kids and um, make them want to play tennis. And if you, if, you know, if you agree with it, if you disagree with it, you know, unfortunately, it's his decision, and, you know, we do have to respect it. And, you know, at, at, at this stage, you know, we have to, um, you know, be happy with the way that he's playing and that he's playing as a South African and the success that he's had on tour, you know, what it does to South African tennis. Personal opinion, I really would love to see Kevin play Davis Cup because, um, you know, it will just give us a much better chance. And, you know, it shows to the young kids out there that playing Davis Cup and playing for your country is important, and people... 
you know, want to see him play the South African and, as, and for Davis Cup. So hopefully in the, ne- in, in, in the, in the near future, you know, Dave will, um, he will decide to do play Davis Cup. He's previously complained about the scheduling and the travelling, John Laffin, even though there are about three or four Davis Cup ties a year. Is, is, is that a fair enough reason? You know, it's uh, it's definitely a, um, you know a, um, a problem that there is. I mean, Davis Cup takes a lot out of you physically. Um, you play as a team, and it's it's a, it's a long week. And uh, but everybody around the world, uh, you know, has the same problem. All the top players have the, sa- have the same problem. Uh, for me, it's a personal a personal choice. Uh, you know, when I played, um, if I had a choice to play Wimbledon or play Davis Cup for South Africa, I would have chose the Davis Cup for keep competing for my country was my number one priority. But that's not everybody's priority. And, you know, like I said, right now, you know, for Kevin, it's, more, it's, it's important for him to focus on his career. And hopefully, you know, in a few years, uh, you know, when he, when, he, when he gets a little older and towards the end of his career, you know, he will decide to play a few Davis Cup ties because I really think for, for the South African people that really support him all over the world, it will be great to see him in South Africa. He's also mentioned in an open letter he wrote a couple of years ago, financial costs and implications, saying that it takes a lot out of his pocket and he doesn't get reimbursed by Tennis South Africa for playing a Davis Cup. Um, is, this, is this a reasonable complaint? Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it also depends, you know, what you see. I mean, and, you know, people must understand that it's not that Kevin never gets, uh, um, the Davis Cup players don't get compensated. They do get compensated. And I know Tennis South Africa goes out of their way to do to give the players as much as they can. At the end of the day, you have to decide if it's enough for you um, or not. So um, Kevin, Kevin must decide what's good for him or what's not good for him. And uh, now hopefully with growth, growth Point that's involved with Tennis South Africa, there's more sponsorship. Richard Glover is doing a great job at raising more f- um, finances for South Africa. And hopefully, you know, in the near future, they'll be able to pay Kevin enough you know, what he wants to play Davis Cup because it's so key. If he plays, we do well, we get into the world group, you know, we attract more sponsorships, we attract more better players to come to South Africa, more people will come to Davis Cup and, you know, we just expose it, uh, our young up-and-coming players to more quality players and inspire them to play. And, you know, we'd like to see more players play at Wimbledon. You know, this year we had two players playing at Wimbledon. In 1999, 32 South Africans competed at Wimbledon. So it's a huge difference what has happened in the last 18 years. And, and as far as the relevance of the Davis Cup, a lot of people have been asking that on social media. Is it is it relevant? Some are saying it's not relevant. It's very relevant for me. I mean, Davis Cup is, you know, is such a um, huge tradition in sport. I know there's talks that they want to change the format. There's a, you know, World Cup of tennis that they're planning to do. But it will be sad if they take Davis Cup away. They need to change the format. I like, you know, they've already starting to change the format to based out of three sets and five sets. Because it's tough on the, on, the, on the players to play best out of five sets over a weekend. You know, if you're playing in a, in a nation, you know, um, that doesn't have a lot of good players, you know, uh, your top guy is going to play singles, doubles, and uh, singles on Sunday. So that means he can play 15 sets over three days. And then the next week, you've got to go compete on the tour for your living. So that is a concern, and they're working on finding different ways. But definitely, Davis Cup is relevant, and it's a very important um, competition, especially in South Africa, because that's the, that's the only place where South Africans can see world-class tennis player compete. And finally, um, John, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on Raven Klassen and Michael Venus going all the way to the final. Did you expect th- that their new partnership this year? You know, Raven is a world-class player and he's done really well with, uh, with his previous partners. Uh, Michael Venus won the French Open last year. Uh, so they they decided to play uh, together. They're a great combination. Um, Michael is a very powerful, big serve, big ground strokes. You know, he doesn't move as well. Where Raven is, Raven is the crafty player. He returns well and he's very active at the net. So they're a good combination. They've done well in the 250s. And now this is the first Grand Slam where they really stepped it up and gone to the final. So, you know, Raven is such a great player. You know, he's, he's, and he's a great ambassador for us. I mean, you know, he plays Davis Cup and... You know, he's, 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 he comes back to South Africa and do some stuff. He's part of our, our Matchpoint Foundation, um, you know, um, charity where we help high-performance um, high kids, kids that want to play at the level. He comes to the camps that we do and he speaks to the kids. And that's the important thing that sportsmen need to realize, that the up-and-coming juniors, 
that wants to play sport. They want to be able to talk to these guys. They want to be able to ask them questions. They want to be able to hit some balls with them because those are the things that really inspire you, your first contact with a world-class player. And I think that's where Raven has done a great job in the past, you know, to build his profile with playing great at on the international level, but playing Davis Cup and being able to, you know, have physical contact and uh, being able to answer questions for these youngsters that come and watch him play Davis Cup. Call Tabiso now, 0891-104-207. Yes, and you can also SMS us on 40938 or WhatsApp 0614104107. Hashtag SAFM spot on. What are your views on Kevin Anderson not playing at Davis Cup? We saw how the country was divided yesterday on social media. We've also just heard now from former SA Davis Cup captain John Lafne Deyaga, who says if he had a, 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 a have to choose between Wimbledon and Davis Cup, he would play at Davis Cup because to him it means a lot for his country. And he also says that if Kevin plays Davis Cup, it will help attract sponsors. It will help bring some of the best players here and, and put South Africa in the world group. And he says it's also the only place uh, that South Africans and the kids can actually see uh, Kevin Anderson play if he does play at Davis Cup. Let's get uh, another view now from a sports writer, sports reporter at IOL, Oket de Villas, who is standing by to talk to us on SAFM. Oket, good evening. Thank you for your time. Good evening, Tavis. How are you doing? Fine, thanks, Orchid. I remember your article last year, boldly yeah. titled, Kevin Anderson is not a traitor. Why do you say that? Because many people believe that he's putting his personal interests ahead of the country. He's on the biggest stage of the world. Um, and, you know, the whole world can see what an amazing ambassador he is to our country. That, that to me, that value to me means more than him playing Davis Cup, you know, obviously him playing Davis Cup will improve our chances of making it to the World Group, but you know, you know Kevin had to make a decision, you know he wants to be among the top players in the world, he wants to be playing, he wants to play at the Grand Slams, he wants to be uh, in a final of Wimbledon and the opportunity cost you know, in his mind would be, you know, the Davis Cup um, and I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, I think the whole world was talking about um, Anderson uh, over the weekend. Um, that, that's just the power of, of, you know, his achievement. And, and, you know, I think everybody saw what a, what a humble hero he is. You know, it's not just the way that he kind of handled himself on the court. It is also the way he did it in post-match interviews. That, to me, is massive value. Mm, and and also uh, I like what you're saying where you're saying that well he does more for the country playing singles than Davis Cup it was actually also said uh, by Tennis SA Mr. Mr. Richard Glover when we spoke to him a couple of uh, weeks ago that's what a lot of people actually say that he's putting the country on the map more than when he comes here three or four times to play Davis Cup but he also wrote uh, um, that famous open letter uh, years ago Orchid, saying that the travelling and the injuries were also taking their toll on him do you agree with that is that a good enough reason or excuse like some people are saying on social media if I have to put myself in his shoes, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, it's valid. Um, you know, he made that decision, and look where he ended up over the last two week, two years. So, you know, in hindsight, that actually works, works in his favor. That actually showed that, you know, he made the right decision. In his mind, he made the right decision. You know, it's, it's important that we actually see our heroes, and I, and I, and I get that and I understand that. You know, you know, having Kevin playing in the Davis Cup, we we will get the opportunity to see him playing South Africa, and I, and I understand that value. Um, I saw Kevin play a couple of years ago in the SA Open, and 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 that's when I first kind of got introduced to him, and and in, and it, that inspired me. That kind of put him on the map for me. But you know, Davis Cup at the moment, how many how many people actually? You go to the Davis Cup at the moment. How many people actually do care about the Davis Cup at, the, at this stage, you know, in South Africa? You know, I know it's, it's, it's it, you know, you go and represent your country, and, and that's, that's awesome. But you did this, the same thing to, over this weekend. You did the same thing at the U.S. Open. The other argument, um, Oka de Villiers, is the money issue. He said in that letter that it's not financially attractive to play uh, for the country. Do you agree? Should playing for your country be a money issue? No, but... I'm sure they, they, there has to be some sort of a, you know, insurance policies and things in place. You know, so if if you come re- represent your country, you know, what, what happens if you get injured? You know, is there is there is some sort of insurance in place to make sure that when you play for your country, when something happens, 
that the loss in revenue, whatever that, that, that might, might, you know, come as a result of you playing Davis Cup, you know, all those things in place. You know, and, and, and Richard Glover says that in his, um, you know, in, in the release, that it, in the media release today, is that, you know, they haven't done enough for, for people like Kevin. You know, so, so that, to me, is, is a big thing, you know. Do, do we really support our players? Do they have to make their own way here? Do, do we pay for, for their coach, for their for their physio, for their doctors or whatever else. You know, it costs a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess money's probably not a big thing. You know, these players earn millions. Um, but, you know, before before he made it into the top 10, before he made it into the top 50 or whatever, you know, how much was he earning at that point? Yeah, he does say actually in that open letter that he doesn't get as much money as the, as the top guys and you'll be surprised that uh, that he's not making that much money and he has to travel with the fees or he has to travel with the coach and those are the things that he needs to take into account. There were also reports okay, that he wanted to play for, for America after applying for citizenship. Is this correct? Um, that's how I understand it, yes. Um, I think, I believe he's looking for dual citizenship and I wouldn't know what, what the... Kind of reasons for that would be, you know, he's, he's, as far as I know, yeah, his wife is, is, is American, so, you know, that could kind of play into it as well. Um, he's been based in the U.S. for, you know, for, for a couple of years, so, you know, I guess that's, that's part of it. You know, we've got, you know, a lot of our South African players and a lot of players do play in the U.S., um, you know, or based there. Um, so I guess it's just, just part of it, I guess. But however, um, he he can't play for the for the USA because the new the new resolution was passed um, uh, some time ago that you can't play for two countries, right? Yeah, no, not for not not Davis Cup. Not so, Davis Cup. You know, he won't be available if if he gets American citizen, he won't be able to play for them. Um, you know, so I guess we we all still we are still kind of holding thumbs that that he will um, turn out for South Africa. I mean, South Africa's been playing really well in Davis Cup. Um, Richard Glover says that negotiations with with Kev has been been going well. So you know, I would love to see Kevin play Davis Cup. I think you know, especially off the back of what's happened over the last two years, imagine if Kevin plays for South Africa in Davis Cup. I'm sure we will pack up uh, pack up um, you know stadiums just to come and see him. Yeah, well, I was at that tournament where he was playing at Motocas, and I think it's that SA Open that you were referring to, and there was yeah. so much interest and so many people uh, attended it just because they knew that uh, Kevin Anderson was playing. Finally, the other question that keeps being asked, um, as much as he says it, but people want to wanna understand, does he really consider himself as a South African? Is he playing for our country? Yes, I, you know, just listening to that, that interview, those post-match interviews, he seems very genuine in, in the way that he kind of speaks about South Africa. I have no doubt that when he gets onto that, that court that he's out there to represent South Africa. I, I think I, I sense it being very genuine. I mean, I've dealt with many pro athletes, <laughs> um, you know, from around the world, and I just get a sense that he's, he's truly a humble and he's genuine in the way that he does things. I could be wrong. But that's just my own kind of personal, you know, sense that I get from 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 listening to to what he says. Okay, great stuff. Thank you very much, there, Orchid uh, Devilia, sports reporter at IOL, for speaking to us and giving his views on uh, Kevin Anderson. As I said, it's divided at their country, so that's why we thought we should get as many views as possible. Thanks, Orchid. Uh, we'll take your calls after the break. Zero eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. If you want to add anything to this conversation, and I'll also read the messages that are coming through on social media. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at seven pm. Well, on social media, the reaction is coming in. Um, Rolong says, no, Kevin is definitely not representing me. And um, also on social media, where is the other tweet? Yes, Queenie saying that he's not one of us. He doesn't seem interested um, in playing for the country. Therefore, I am not counting him. Somebody else says, who is Kevin now that you guys are talking about? Come on now, uh, be nice. And then uh, free uh, Sipiwe says, let's just admit it, Kevin is not into us. He's no any else or he's no Shalise uh, Theron. And uh, Zico Smith says, tennis, like any other sport, is a short-term career. Let him play where he gets a lot of money. And um, uh, who's this? Gumball says, name a player in the ATP Masters that plays a Davis Cup. Uh, Ditsejo says, does Kevin Anderson have reasons or excuses? It's more like excuses. Monobisi says, this guy chose it chooses to be South African when it suits him. So that's the kind of re- 
reaction that is coming through on social media. But now let's congratulate the champions, France, and let's go over to uh, France uh, to speak to Hossein Hazone, a football journalist for a goal in France, uh, just to get reaction. He's all, he joins us all the way from Paris. Hossein, good evening, and thank you for joining us on SAFM in South Africa. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It's very, uh, it's an honor for us, and it's a time of celebration for French people and for people all over the world because uh, this victory shows that people can achieve things uh, together, coming from different backgrounds and um, different origins. You can accomplish and you can achieve great things uh, by doing stuff together. And let's pick it up from there then, Hossein, because there has been so much, uh, there have been celebrations in Africa. People have claimed the French team as their own, partly because all the African teams were knocked out very early in the the group stages. But is this French team connected to Africa? Because Africa has definitely claimed it. Yeah, France is really connected to Africa because of origins, because of history, such a a rich history and friendship between African countries and France, and you have players from all over uh, African origins that play currently for France. And this victory echoes to the 1998 victory, if you recall it, when Zinedine Zidane and Deschamps, who is the current coach of, the, of this team, they led a team of multi-ethnic backgrounds and origins to, to victory. And this time it's the same thing. It's people from uh, all over the all over different backgrounds that... Uh, came together and united um, united the whole country because in this time of fear-mongering, this time of terrorist attacks, this, this time of fear, yeah. uh, there's this victory that unites people. And, and football has this power. Football can unite can, can unite people. And this is, what, uh, this is why this victory is beautiful. When you look at the play, when you look at uh, our own goals, um, you know, not very, not very beautiful play, you know, France wasn't really a handsome winner on the pitch, maybe Croatia. Some people can say that Croatia deserved it better, maybe. But when you look at the values that France showed, at the, the way that uh, this victory unites people, it's really a beautiful victory. I say it again for French people and from people from Africa, from people from all over the world. That's a great story. And before the tournament, Hossein, what were the expectations uh, for this team? What, how were you expecting them to do? What would have made a good World Cup? Yeah, we expected great things from them because it's uh, a really young young team. When you, it's uh, the second youngest to start the final, I think, and they went uh, all the way to the final in the Euro 2016 in France, if you recall it. So we were expecting great things, but we kept quiet because it's the World Cup. You know, there are no small things now, only good things. And France, they started slowly and they, they came together against Peru. They started to have a backbone, to have people showing their strength, uh, players showing their strength, like N'Golo Conte in the midfield, who was an absolute beast. You have Kylian Mbappe, who showed his, uh, his, um, his pace against Argentina. So with the game, so, uh, people start, uh, players uh, started showing their strength as a team, but also as individuals, because this team has a strong uh, defensive qualities. Mm-hmm. It played like an Italian team. Deschamps has an Italian background, playing most of his career as a player in Juventus in Italy. Mm-hmm. So they have a backbone, strong backbone defensive, and have players up front who can make the magic happen, you know. And this combination was the same as 1998. So th- those two teams are look really alike. The 1998 team and the 2018 teams are really alike. Um, and this is the, the recipe for success when you have strong defensive values and you have some nice um, stri- young strikers, strong strikers up front, you can make things happen. Yeah, well, they looked very balanced. They looked very disciplined I mean, defense, especially in their semi-final win uh, there where, where, where they were really good. And Didier Deschamps, the manager, he was previously criticized. Not many people thought he could take them to the promised land. How did he get it right this time? And, and did you believe in him that he was the right man? Yeah, you must know something about Deschamps. He's the greatest uh, pedigree, the, greatest, the player with the most trophies in France. He is yeah. the player who has the most trophies. So when he became manager, we were expecting great things. And now he was uh, with Zidane, who uh, retired at Real Madrid, who stopped at Real Madrid. We were expecting Zidane to take over from Deschamps. But Deschamps didn't, uh, didn't want to leave his seat, you know, <laughs> to leave his kingdom. So he gave it his best. He prepared uh, very well with the game plan. This is a coach who works with details, you know, who is very, very, who um, really seeks perfection every time. 
So he chose wisely his man, he chose wisely his group. He left over some important players, yeah. but he chose the players who, who served the group well. So the most osmosis between them, you know? Yeah. So it started slowly because some people, some players like Griezmann and some others, didn't really find their, um, their, their pace at the, at the beginning of the tournament. But it came, uh, it came slowly, and then when they're all ready, they start making great things. What about a certain Paul Pogba? He was criticized for, for, for what they call the poor season at Manchester United. The coach backed him even before the World Cup. Did the people of France back him and did they believe that he would be one of those that deliver? Yeah, Pogba, the thing about Pogba is uh, he's one player that speaks. He's not afraid to show his ambition, you know. He, he, he says, I'm going to win. We are going to win. And some people take it the wrong way. They think he's arrogant. They think he, he doesn't mean it, but he's a winner. You, you see this image when he had, uh, he had the World Cup with a picture of his deceased father? It was a beautiful, yes. beautiful uh, image. So this is a player who is really talented. This is a player who has great ambition, a player who, who, can, who can play defensively, who can play a little bit up front. He's a symbol of uh, multicultural and multi-ethnical France and a very strong, very strong player. So... He, he has shut lots of mouth <laughs> from the critics in, uh, in Manchester and England by uh, by saying he showed Jose Mourinho has that he, he can do great things at Manchester too. Uh, Manchester too sorry. Well, now they can't wait for him to come back. And this young man you've touched on him, Kylian Mbappe, was he expected to fire at this World Cup at the age of 19? Yeah, this is crazy. This is a crazy story. Now there are newborn babies that are named Mbappe and Kylian. <laughs> Like the name Zinedine, you know, in 1998. It's a legacy. Uh, he's the number 10 of France. Zidane was uh, the mythical number 10. Platini was the number 10. You know, only great players in France were running number 10. So to see this young man of 19 years play a World Cup final, score, and wear a number 10 and lift the cup, it's something amazing. It's really incredible. He's from uh, Cameroonian and uh, Algerian ascent. He plays for France and uh, he's uh, very, very talented. But he is the new for us. We see him as the new Pele because he was the youngest to to start and score in a, in a final uh, after Pele. Yes, so it... we really have great expectations uh, of him. So we don't know what the future holds for him, but uh, definitely a great thing. I see him. I can see him go to Real Madrid. I can see him lift other trophies for France and for clubs. He has an amazing career, an amazing potential ahead of him. And there's a story doing the rounds that is donating his match fees to a charity. Is that true? Yeah, not only him. All the players are going to donate their earnings from the World Cup to charity. Because, you know, when you have when you play at Paris Saint-Germain or Real Madrid or Barcelona, like Umtiti or Rafael Varane and other French players, the, what you can get from the World Cup, it's not much for us. For regular people, it's, it's a huge amount of money. But uh, for players, you know, it's not very much. And it's a nice gesture. It's a symbolic gesture in a time of need, in a time where people are really telling crazy about money, where there are conflicts, there are problems, crisis, financial crisis. To see players give up some money to charity, it's a nice gesture. It's always nice. Mm. And finally, have they arrived? When are they expected? What are the celebrations? What's being planned there in France? Yeah, they, they have arrived, they have landed, and they are in Paris right now, so they're going to Arc de Triomphe, to Tour uh, to the, the, the world-known uh, monuments of France. They're going, to, they're going to parade in a bus. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be, we have a president that likes, likes football, Emmanuel Macron. He's yeah. really a fan of football. He, he follows Olympique de Marseille, you know, yeah. at club level, and obviously France at national level. So the whole country is waiting for their heroes, and uh, it's nice to see. You know what uh, we used to say in 1998? Mm-hmm. We used to say black blondeur. So we have the people, black players, um, white players, and Arabic, from Arabic ascent uh, in the same team. So this team echoes to 1998. We have the same, um, the same really osmosis between all these origins and all these background. Uh, it's, really, it's really nice for France right now to, to have this team, to have these heroes. Which leads me to the one big question then that's being asked ever since what happened yesterday. Which team is the better team, Hossein, the 98 team or the 2018 team? Uh, I, I'm a 1998 guy because, <laughs> <laughs> because it was played in France, because we were expecting them to go all the way to the final, because it was a dream final to play Brazil, is always a dream final. In all due respect to Croatia, they, have, they had a great tournament. It's a small country, but great football was played by Croatia. They have players like Modric, like Modric. 
But Brazil is always Brazil, you know, five-time world champion. So to beat Brazil in the final, 3-0, with the team, nobody expected. In your home soil, in your home country, it was magical. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so had to I'm argue with you. With yeah, no, had had to argue with you. That was a really, really uh, a good team there, and they beat a certain Bafana Bafana um, in the first in the first match. Of course, three uh, 0 in the group stages, but the less said about that, the better. Hossein, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us here in South Africa. Go and enjoy the celebrations, enjoy the party. You deserve it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Hossein. Up next, we speak to coach Musin Artugal just to find out which trends is picked up from this 2018 FIFA World Cup. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. Well, it is back to reality for all of us now. No World Cup. People still trying to figure out what to do with themselves. It feels like the World Cup was just yesterday, man. And um, yeah, it's over just like that. Uh, Once again, congratulations to France and what a wonderful tournament it has been. But let's look at some of the trends picked up from this tournament. We are joined on the line by Ice Cape Town coach Moussin Ertugal. And the coach also does a lot of work for FIFA as a technical committee member. And that's what we're talking to him about uh, this evening, just to understand what he's seen from this World Cup. Coach, Good evening and thank you very much for speaking to us on SAFM. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much uh, to having me in the show. Good evening to you and to the listeners. Coach, firstly, do you agree with many people that say that the best team won this World Cup? Oh, the best team? Uh, yeah, some stats, uh, when you look into that, um, I would differ that. But uh, obviously, the, when you're in the final and win the final, then you must be the best team, if you say so. Uh, but it's a lot of discussion and room for discussion. Uh, but it's welcome. Uh, I think Belgium, uh, for my now from the technical point, uh, from open play, um, not uh, very good on standard. Only about standard situations when we come straight to the point. Uh, 56 goals actually from the 169 goals been scored. Uh, it's been only by open play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means 44 uh, percent of the goals has been scored uh, from standard situations, which is a tremendous high number. Mm. And and is that is is that a standout trend for you there that the goals are coming from the set pieces? I think it's the highest from any other World Cup. Yeah, this was the the most um, highest standard situation in the in, in any World Cup. Now uh, it was very interesting to see that. Um, which uh, to your previous question, I think uh, Belgium had um, uh, a combination of wonderful open play, uh, sometimes of counter attacking, sometimes of um, re uh, uh, re uh, pressing. Um, so they had the variations of um, possibilities and obviously also a very versatile uh, system that played um, sometimes uh, a 3 4 3, uh, sometimes a 3 6 1, uh, which after losing the ball um, in certain areas been closed. I, sh- I think um, Martinez has got uh, something out of his team. Uh, for me, a little bit unlucky. Uh, could have seen the final, for my opinion. Mm. And now the England team scored a lot of goals from set pieces, Coach Musin, and they were heavily criticised by people saying that they're not scoring enough on open play. It's set pieces, it's penalties. Do you think that criticism is justified? Yeah, I think the criticism comes more obviously from people that uh, want to say uh, see a certain uh, type of football. Uh, obviously, we understand that that uh, they've been uh, going to the country in the World Cup, paying so much money to see a certain type of football. Obviously, you want to. Uh, you want to see uh, much more uh, from your own own team, much more effective open play, obviously. Uh, we understand that. But um, uh, I differ that in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, looking into, they say, suddenly England is uh, in the semi-final. This is not suddenly. Uh, uh, England has done a lot of work. Uh, under 17 world champion, under 20 world champion, under 19 Europa champion. And mm. a very young squad that plays um, a very untypical um, British system or British organization forms, let me say, that uh, mostly playing with three at the back. And uh, I think um, they are on a very good way to find um, their feet in the next uh, next processes on the World Cups. Um, I think uh, this team is growing. Uh, we should look into that. Obviously, the game, uh, the whole game, uh, this uh, World Cup is a lot of about uh, set pieces and the. A precision. The English uh, team, the British team, uh, actually scored <laughs> from open play uh, 11 from the, uh, 11 goals. Only eight, uh, mostly eight uh, of their goals comes from a standard uh, situation. So they actually only scored three goals from open play. So obviously mm. that criticism um, finds the right way, I find. That, uh, mm. But obviously these are goals and played semi-finals. Mm. You spoke about the formation earlier on. Is there any specific 
formation that you picked that most teams were going for? Were they playing with two defensive midfielders? Is there anything that you spotted? Yeah, uh, generally uh, it's uh, uh, obviously uh, a four-five-one. I would say uh, that was the most the teams that uh, they approached. Um, obviously, after losing the ball, it was more in the second zone, coming back, um, playing uh, a counter-attacking uh, mm-hmm. transition game, and they win the ball back quickly forward. Um, we didn't see that, but we see generally in the, the international football, like Liverpool plays, for instance, for everybody knows that uh, that um, counter-pressing immunity after losing the ball, getting the ball quick as possible back. Uh, you find more that the teams uh, were sitting, were more organized, um, generally didn't want to concede the first goal. Uh, that looked at, uh, but also understandable, um, the most of the people that um, uh, looking into uh, having open play or want to have an open play, uh, a player like Luka Modric and um, Rakitic uh, played nearly 70 games in this season. Uh, Rakitic, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 71 games in one season now. Uh, it is obviously for those players, uh, you, you expect them um, to put the uh, stamp on the fingerprints in the game. Uh, obviously, some of these boys, big boys, were really a bit also a little bit tired. You could see, especially on Modric, the last two games that mm. he was most of the time on his knees <laughs> after mm. after situation was cleared or uh, uh, the ball came too still. Um, this is a bit uh, heavy, heavy figures for the players that uh, play over 60 games per season. And uh, obviously, you expect them every time to be fresh. Um, and um, have the best uh, call-up. Uh, by side that they played so many games, uh, Luka could uh, really get the um, player, uh, player of the tournament award. But makes him very valuable player. Mm, you, t- you, you speak about teams sitting back. Is that the new way? Because there were a lot of teams that were sitting back during this World Cup and catching teams on the counter. Or does it depend on the kind of team that you have? Or who you're playing against? Yeah, for, but the last World Cup, uh, which uh, in this World Cup, I was uh, obviously not uh, physical uh, involved, yes. uh, but we are on the technical side, we're speaking to each other. Uh, Lord and have analyzed that uh, also a little bit more far. I came uh, only watched the German teams, German team, uh, which was the most disastrous uh, German team that I ever seen in a long, long time. And then uh, came back, obviously, with the problems that we have here in South Africa to, to look after the team. Um, but the last World Cup um, in, in Brazil uh, was much, much more open play. Uh, also more goals. Uh, the goals uh, this uh, tournament, uh, two uh, goals left, uh, 169. And Brazil has uh, had 171. That was the second together with 89 France, the most goals, 171. So that's a high margin. Yes. What I can say is also from the, the, the goals that have been scored, uh, we had in Brazil 87% uh, of the goals been in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gives a lot of indication for teams how to close down, where to close and how to close. Uh, by this uh, World Cup, uh, 80% in the... Uh, so it was 20% outside the box, so more shots can uh, come outside the box. So that means also uh, a bit higher up a defensive organization could be very valuable for that. Uh, that was actually very interesting to see. Mm, for the one-touch yeah. finish uh, this time very, very high. Uh, the one-touch finish, uh, so the precision of the players is 61% is actually very high. Mm. But it has to do also with some situation. You look a little bit more deeper into that. For those who have just joined us, we're speaking to Coach Musin Ertugal. Um, he's a member of the FIFA Technical Committee, always analyzes and looks at trends uh, after the World Cup and after major tournaments. And we're just trying to pick his brain just to understand what he's seen from this tournament. We're going to continue the conversation after this quick break. If you have anything to add, we have 10 minutes left, 0891-104-207. And we have to talk about VAR after the break. Hashtag SAFM Sport On. And we are wrapping up with Coach Musin Ertugal. Coach, before we get to VAR, you said before the break that this was not a good German team, one of the worst that you've seen. What what happened? What went wrong for them? I followed the whole story a bit. Um, you remember that uh, there was a long, uh, lot of talk about Mesut, uh, Mesut Özil, um, yes. uh, situation that um, the, the, the picture is uh, the, the president of the country of Turkey yes. uh, from origin. So I'm, I've been in the same, same situation. We go up in Germany, with a very young childhood, uh, and obviously getting the passport of of, of, of Germany and um, having the, the, the family side uh, still uh, on Turkish side, so you always sit between the chairs. And um, I myself has experienced that myself in my playing time. And um, um, obviously, Mesut did a Mesilkai together, um, something that um, maybe didn't work very well in, in the public eye in, 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 in Germany. That should have been cleared before the World Cup has been taken place and uh, later on 
I found that very strange that they, they have tried to uh, put under the carpet of Mesut and Ilkay uh, that yeah. the team didn't perform very well. It was for me very cheap. But uh, you could see I had a little bit of a brief of chat with uh, Ilkay uh, just before the game against Sweden. Um, and um, he told himself that, uh, that he's a little bit tired. Uh, he played, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if I had to figure right, 58 games. And he felt, he felt a little bit of um, really not that fresh in them. And... Um, uh, the German played the same way that, uh, or the same organization form uh, in the build-up processes. The wing backs very high up. Uh, they are nearly wingers uh, that uh, actually real wingers should take uh, care of that. And um, the midfielders like Tony Kroos dropped so much in the in the deep zone and tried to make the game from behind. And there was a lot of um, unhappiness in the, in the in the squad. I think um, that you could see in the in the, in the way how the team performed. The tactical approach was nothing new. The teams uh, that analyzed German, Germany, uh, you could uh, immediately analyze that the team played the same pattern, same organization form, same part pattern that we had nearly um, uh, four years ago. But uh, in the end, they lost, uh, from my opinion, uh, the creativity, what they had, the freshness, what they had, um, and playing with Timo Werner, a striker that actually is a counter striker, and uh, you need more space in front of him. So it's a key and there are a little bit of small details that uh, make the, the team more and more angry that they couldn't find the rhythm. And I think uh, they will be the first ones to analyze themselves what kind, what was the reason. And I think uh, in the coaching congress uh, next month, uh, that will definitely be revealed in Germany. And um, uh, they are very critical about themselves. And I think uh, the way forward to this team is uh, find uh, had a lot of youngsters and um, Germany will find his feedback in the future, I'm sure about it. Hmm. And and what about penalties, uh, Coach Musin? There were a lot of penalties, I think 24 in the group stage. And how much of that is due to a VAR, of course? Yeah, this is, uh, I think, the most discussion uh, what we have. Uh, but I also uh, could a little bit, had a little bit of small chat of Junit Chakri. Uh, Junit uh, from Turkey is one of, for me, one of the most favorite, uh, uh, my favorite referees uh, in the football world that uh, had also the semi final uh, and third. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I, I'm also, I must say that I'm, I'm a bit, um, myself, a bit uh, old-fashioned in that, but the, the technology has to come in. But uh, what we saw yesterday night, uh, it's actually that's not what, what we want to see. Uh, in the end, if the ref, if this technology, the video assistant referee comes in, if you're not sure of any situation. And uh, uh, you could see that the referee in the handball uh, was even not himself after seeing the video, even not sure. He went it second time back. Mm. And um, that that shows uh, you actually that that emotion is going to take off, and um, there's a lot of discussion in that level. Uh, uh, I would say next time I will ask my players uh, to or the, the uh, how we say that uh, our uh, sponsors to have in the pockets, find pockets so that the players can put the hands in the pockets. I mean, there's so much <laughs> discussion about that. Uh, uh, it was for me my personal view. And never a penalty, but the referee himself not uh, sure. So he needed to see a second time. If you're not sure, you don't give the penalty, not in that level. So obviously, that will be a lot of discussion. Uh, the way forward uh, for your question is that uh, a lot of penalties are given. Uh, I think um, going back to the VAR, uh, that we could see them in the end um, that uh, the real penalty was happening and uh, they have given that uh, most of the time during the game. Which we also sometimes need to understand the referees. The game is so quick. We have a lot of scientists now around and it's that the game comes quicker and quicker and more precise, more organized. And obviously the referees need help. Mm-hmm. We know that. Uh, but this situation is going to be discussed more. We have the goal line uh, situation that uh, gives us uh, coaches and uh, players a good help on the field of play. But in the end, uh, those decisions like, like yesterday, that's what we actually don't want to see. And finally, Coach Musin, I know a couple of months ago you were criticized for saying that players are not hungry enough and all sorts of things, but the sober-minded ones did agree with you. The African teams bombed at this World Cup. What happened? What went wrong? Yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, my really uh, baby that I'm really, really uh, been, uh, disappointed about that. I said that also before the World Cup, if you could see that, um, I said that in the Ajax website, uh, that mm-hmm. I don't see any African team getting in the, in the next round. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the other side, you can see that uh, one African team, uh, 14 players in French team, uh, with origin of Africa, uh, shows you that uh, if they have the right development, the right appro- approach, they can actually be very, very valuable. Uh, African players have 
great talent, uh, natural talent, but what we don't have in Europe anymore. Uh, the tactical aspect has been drilled uh, into those players very young age, and uh, that is that. But uh, especially in South Africa, we need to look into that. The talent is there, and we need to find ways of measures um, how to develop the players in the right way that they compete can compete uh, to the 12, 14 years of youth development. So actually, what we have uh, generally here in Africa is naturally talent, but we ex- uh, uh, escape in the education. So that means you're going from the primary school to the university, which the the, the fortunate. Uh, academies in the football world outside, they have 12 to 14 years uh, really developing players of the players. And that uh, makes a huge difference and you can see that. Um, that is what um, African teams, national teams and leagues have to look more into the details. Mm. And finally, Coach, uh, when can we expect the report back? How long does it take uh, when the FIFA Technical Committee works on it? When can we expect feedback from your colleagues for this World Cup? Yeah, we had uh, in this World Cup uh, was not that much, but we had previous years, previous mm-hmm. times. Uh, there was um, really great experts that have been done uh, the job as coaches uh, on the field, uh, as players, as coaches. Um, so normally, there's a lot of administration behind that. Uh, other coaches were analyzed behind the scenes as well. Uh, so it will take. Generally, the booklet comes out six to eight weeks after the after the World Cup, but. Uh, that will be this time probably a bit more quicker. Uh, it's about also the administration behind the scenes of how quick can they produce that that booklet. And that will be actually presented then to the, all the federations uh, that uh, also going to be discussed about these issues. Okay, Coach Mushini, thank you very much for finding time to speak to us. It's a pleasure talking to you, especially about this part of the game and the info and the insight and the stats that you've given us. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your time, Coach. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening and good evening to listeners. Thank you, Coach Musin Ertugal. What a gentleman. Always a pleasure to uh, talk to. Always available for interviews, Coach Musin Ertugal. It doesn't matter uh, who you are. And um, we're speaking to him about, obviously, the trends that have been picked up in this World Cup. And a trend that's coming through on social media is that Germany should have never left Leroy Sane at home. Uh, Roxino Lemza is perplexed. And a lot of people are surprised that they left Leroy Sane um, at home and they're saying it's part of their downfall. The other trend that is still going on is the Kevin Anderson playing Davis Cup at debate. Still divided. It's crazy. It's crazy how we as South Africans can watch sport and see two different things. It is really, really amazing. Or we can look at the same situation and just see it totally in two different ways. And that is what's happening here with Kevin Anderson. It's clear as black and white. Excuse the pun. Anyway, that's where we end our show. Thank you to Loyolo. Uh, thank you to to uh, Sylvester Coman and thank you to Tebuho Khadebe on social media there and coming up after 8 Asanda Matsonyane will bring us the viewpoint standing in for Mr. Ashraf Agada. There'll be more sport in the morning with Zai Khan on uh, Sunrise with Stephen Hrotis between 6 and 9am and also any suggestions, ideas, uh, topics that you want us to discuss, feel free to email Helen Kulchik um, sport at safm.co.za My name is Tabiso Musia. We're back tomorrow. News is next.